So when I was interviewing, um, actually the Sunday you all voted me in as your pastor, uh, the bells played good vibrations, and I was like, this is a place for me. Um, And they continue to bless us, so we're so grateful for them. There are... There, are, there is a joke that there are only two guarantees in life. You all know this joke. You've heard it many times before. What are those two guarantees? Yes, death and taxes. And while both are true, there's a category that's more expansive than death that is guaranteed for us all. Can anyone guess what that category might be? <laughs> there you go. Maybe for you, Seth. Maybe for you. Uh, (laughs) Change. Change is inevitable for us all. And death, after all, is the final change. There are millions of little changes that make up our life. What clothes we choose to wear, what food we choose to eat, the activities we choose to accumulate our time in our life. And then there are those larger markers. Who will you marry? Will you partner with someone? What job will you take? Where will you live? That mold the person that we are and the person that we become. We are guaranteed that things will change, that we will change, that the world around us will change. In our scripture for today that Karen is about to read, we hear the story of Esther, a Hebrew Bible heroine who is caught on the cusp of change. And really, she's a woman that's stuck between a rock and a hard place. The peace that has been known is now disturbed, and the king has decreed destruction for the Jewish people, secretly her people. And Esther is faced with a choice. Does she she stay safe and silent? Or does she speak out, risking life and limb? I wonder what choice we would make. But in another translation of this text, Mordecai says to Esther, Esther, you were born for such a day as this. And in our world today, with all of its cruel realities, maybe we, like Esther, are faced with a choice. How will we respond to the changing world around us? Inviting us not to maybe let go of our fear, but to move through our fear to the change that lies ahead, just as Esther did. And may we settle into what we can do now and the assurance of who we are as God made us to be. And may we, like Esther, hear Mordecai's words ringing true for us. You were born for such a day as this. For we bear the light of God to the world. We are the light bearers. The reading today is from the book of Esther, chapter 4. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went through the city wailing with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one might enter the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. 
In every province, whenever, wherever the king's command and the, his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and most of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's maids and her eunuchs came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hatach, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was happening and why. Hatach went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther, explain it to her, and charge her to go to the king to make supplication to him and to entreat him for her people. Hatak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hatak and gave him a message for Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law, to be put to death. Only if the king holds out the golden scepter to someone may that person live. I myself have not been called to come into the king for 30 days. When they told Mordecai what Esther had said, Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Then Esther said in reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And I and my maids will also fast as you do. After that, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai, Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight and be in keeping with the teachings of Jesus Christ. For you, O God, are our rock, and you, O God, are our redeemer. Amen. So it feels like the Holy Spirit was at work when Pastor Seth was crafting this sermon series. We didn't quite know uh, when or how my transition to Catawba College would happen. And the ways in my life and my home, we are being reminded again of the joy and of the labor of change. 
We are packing and cleaning and preparing for this big move. And it is hard and it is exhausting and it is right. As we say goodbye to what has been and as we prepare ourselves for what will be. We hold fast to the belief that while so much in our lives will change that the words of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians stay, that the love that exists here will remain. And that throughout the course of a life, change happens for all of us as it should. And in in our own life, at our own home, our, our children are a daily reminder of this. Just a week ago, we were trying to convince our little six-month-old Joe that she could sit up. And we would place pillows around her and we would hold her up and she would just topple over again and again with actually a little shriek and a little laugh. And this last week, as we tried again and again, she finally sat. She learned and she grew just as as right and just as she should. Our daughter Eliza is teaching us this as she sings in the back of our car, as she learns new words, and as she kind of alarmingly mimics sometimes the things that we say. But change is not just something for the very young. Growth is not just something for the very young. We are continually invited and inevitably susceptible to change and growth. I've heard from so many of you stories of change, of jobs taken, of moves made, of changes that maybe broke your heart and the ways that you all have grown around that grief and to the people you are. In life, we're not given a choice about if change will occur because it will happen whether or not we are ready for it. But we are given the power to ask how we want to respond to that change. We can be like Mrs. Haversham and Dickens' Great Expectations, the old woman who is left at the altar on her wedding day. We could be like her and stop clocks and lock ourselves away in our wedding dresses of disappointment. As cobwebs grow and so too would our bitterness. Or we can see the ways that God's love beckons us and that we too are invited to be transformed by God's love and to share that love and that light in the world. Life, after all, is limited. And even if we stop the clocks, time will still tick on. So here's something you may not know about me. Some of you, Emily, and some of you know this about me, but I love musical theater. In our home, we joke that my husband is classy. He, you turn on the radio and he's been in there, and it's, I don't remember, but it's the classical radio station for the area. If you get in the car after I've been in there, you turn it on and it's 93.1 WXRT. Similarly, he's a man who loves the CSO, and I have a deep love for all things musical theater. The campier, the better. And I wonder if my first inkling in my call to ministry was when I was in high school and I played Sister Margareta from The Sound of Music. And I loved the romanticism of wearing that black habit. I even took the costume for the performance home and I 
put it on one morning and made my way down to breakfast, much to the eye rolls of my parents and brother. I told them in all seriousness, I'm just preparing for my role. (laughs) My love expanded from the classics and musical theater, from Sound of Music and The Wizard of Oz and Rodgers and Hammerstein's State Fair to more modern rock. I loved the beautiful and tragic story in Rent and the ways that that story specifically invites us to think about the finitude of life. Although I will say I remember my mother telling me one time as I sang some of the lyrics to that musical in our church fellowship hall, she said, Kendra, there is a time and a place for everything. (laughs) But I love one of the refrains from this musical invites us to think about how many minutes exist within a year, those 525,600 minutes. And it was a number when I was 13 that seemed impossibly large to understand, and now as an adult, that number seems far too small. If the average person lives until our mid-80s, do you know roughly how many weeks we have on Earth? I'm sure some of you can do mental math much quicker than I can, but, but the answer is roughly 4,000. We have 4,000 weeks on this earth. And like the number of days, it too feels much too small. These numbers invite us to hear Mordecai's words to Esther today, not only as an affirmation, calling us and naming us for this moment, but we can also hear these words as a question and an invitation. For you were born for such a day as this. Then the question is, how will we choose to use this precious time? For those of you who've been at funerals that I've presided at, you'll have heard this before, so apologies, but I think it's so appropriate to bring science, actually, into a funeral service. Neil deGrasse Tyson actually says that every good funeral needs an astrophysicist present because they remind us of a scientific truth that is also deeply a spiritual truth, that change is inevitable, that death even is inevitable for all of us. But one of the basic principles of science is that matter cannot be created or destroyed. It is merely transformed. And the same is true with us in an infinite way. When we die, the love that we've poured out into the world lives on. And we, in a physical sense, are transformed but also in a spiritual sense, we are transformed. But what ways are we called to live out that transformational love? Jesus gives us a framework, God incarnate coming into the world. What do we do with our limited time? God came into the world, not in a place or a position of privilege, or power, but to an unwed mother and a carpenter father in the backwaters of Bethlehem, in the stink and mess of a stable, God entered into this world. 
and no one noticed. No one noticed but a few foreigners who took a chance on a star and some night shift workers who watched and waited and listened when everyone else slept. As Jesus grew and lived, we saw what God came to embody, the transformation, revolutionary, transformative, revolutionary power of love, a love that threatened the status quo that threw out all of the shoulds and asked, is this of love? Jesus knew what he was born for, to preach and to teach, to make manifest the love of God, to love so much that he died for that love. And in his death, Jesus shows us the ultimate power of change, that love cannot be locked away in a tomb. It cannot be contained or confined, but it is transformed as it appeared to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and it was transferred to believers then. And that love has been transferred to each and every one of us who is gathered here. It lives within us. That love remains. And so how does that love change us? The question we must ask ourselves is the same question that Esther had to ask herself. What were we born for? Or in the words of poet Mary Oliver, what will you do with your one wild and precious life? So often when we hear these words, or I'll speak for myself, so often when I hear these words, my excitement rises at the potential and possibility that exists within this life. And sometimes when I hear these words, I can also hear, feel my anxiety rising with the impossibility of how will we do it all? What can we do in the face of this world and all the heaviness that it bears and carries? We want to do so much. And sometimes we feel so helpless. But someone once pointed out to me that Mary Oliver's reply to this question of what she would do with her one life was to walk in the woods, to take her time to watch and observe and create art. That was her calling in this life. That was how she bore God's light to the world. Recently, as my husband Dan and I were preparing to put our house on the market, we washed our windows inside and out. Now, we didn't really think it was necessary, but we thought it would be nice, and it was on our realtor's checklist of things to do, and I am a sucker for a good checklist, so I told him it had to get done. And so with buckets of vinegary water and rags, we went up and down the ladder. Now, thankfully, we have a very little ranch, and so we really weren't going up and down too much. But we would climb up the ladder and wipe and dry each window. And when we were done, we went back into the house, and we were amazed. We hadn't realized the dirt that had accumulated over time and that it had blocked the light. 
There's so much that can get in our way of sharing God's light and feeling God's light. There's so much that gradually accumulates over time that maybe we don't even realize the ways that God's light has become diminished. Sometimes we have to clear away all that isn't serving us, the dirt of our lives that has slowly accumulated over time. Maybe it's a relationship that diminishes us rather than celebrating us, or patterns or behaviors that harm us rather than help us. Maybe it is self-talk that pricks at old wounds, breaking open old scars. Or maybe it's a busyness that masks our grief, our anxiety, our insecurity. Leo Tolstoy wrote that everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing themselves. Sometimes we become so focused on all there is out there that we forget the one thing that we can truly change, ourselves. And the ways that in changing ourselves, we ground ourselves in ways that are healthy and sustainable that allow us to then turn outward and impact change on the world. Sometimes like our windows, we don't realize how dim things have become. So let us clear away. Let us put down, let us say goodbye to all the things that we need to let go of and to release. As my family prepares for what's next, there's some worry. We're saying goodbye to two beautiful ministries. And we will say goodbye to people who have truly changed our lives. We know what our life here is, and there is comfort, and there is love here from all of you. And when I expressed this worry to my husband, Dan, about leaving the comfort and the familiarity and the security of this place, he asked me, he said, Kendra, do you want fear to be a guide in your life? Of course I said no. <laughs> Change is frightening. Taking a chance is scary, and Esther knew that in a way that only we can imagine. She knew the cost of change, but she also knew the cost of inaction. I can imagine she hung on to Mordecai's words as she went forward to the king with her truth. As Mordecai reassured her, you were born for such a day as this. Now you all might not, or probably not, preparing for a cross-country move, but change and opportunities for growth come in ways big and ways small. For the very young, learning to sit and to walk and to talk and to play and sing. And still for those of us who've seen more of life. We have lessons to learn of self-love and acceptance, of forgiveness and even permission for our own creativity and play. For we are all given the chance to live God's call. It's an invitation that extends to each and every one of us in our 525,600 minutes that make up our year. 
in the 4,000 weeks that make up our life. For we were born to be God's light bearers, each in our own way, no two ways the same. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.